pop that Sudafed, <clears throat> and clear your throat. It's the Woodworking Morning Show. Good morning, Internet. <laughs> Good morning. It's the Woodworking Morning Show. I'm Mark. And I'm Nicole. We've got so much to talk to you about today. We have so much woodworking. Everybody's goodness. already talking in the chat room about donuts. That's, that's what they do. They talk about the donuts. <laughs> that clock, right? Okay, I dropped the clock yesterday. I want to make sure it's still okay. So it's, uh, it's another great Friday. It's been a great week. No, it hasn't. <laughs> what am I talking I'm about? Like, what crap it's, are you it's been awful. <laughs> feeding me? <laughs> so today we're going to answer tons of questions from the community. Uh, we get those questions from our live chat room, which Nicole mm -hmm. is looking at. She'll grab those questions. We also get some questions from Patreon. If you want to help support the show, you could do that. Patreon.com slash Whisperer. And uh, some of the folks who helped us out this week, Stan Fry, Graham Ward, Jeffrey Salisbury, Mark Stupple and I and Christoph Utterback. I don't know if I maybe forgot the ER. Mm -hmm. It could be Christopher. I don't know. I may have screwed that Christoph. up. But it could very well just be Christoph. So thank you so much for helping us out, folks. We really, 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 really appreciate it. Hey, speaking, more than you know. Speaking of Patrick, <laughs> no one's going to get that our reference. Our friend, our friend Patrick, does this thing where he goes really, really, really. Anyway, he, uh, Patrick Beja is a good friend of ours, and Tom Merritt, mm -hmm. who you might know from Daily Tech News Show. Yeah. They just recently came out with a new podcast. I heard you listening to it. Yeah, the wor working from home something or other. <laughs> it's it's a short podcast. It's only like fifteen minutes, right? It's ho home insanity or something. Home. <laughs> I forget what it's. Sorry, Patrick and Tom. It's really good though. What's it? What's it called? I don't know. Uh, Obviously, Tom I don't. I keep making things Merit. up. New podcast. Yeah, it's pretty good though. <laughs> it's it's going to be good. It's going to be like Tom Merritt has a new podcast off. <laughs> Let's see. It's like. It's okay, don't worry about it. I'll find Let's it. Let's move on. And I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. It's going to be good. If you work from home and you need help working from home, good listen. Tips and tricks, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Uh, Tom also had a really good, on the Daily Tech News show feed, um, really good explanation. You know this whole blow up with uh, Twitter mm, and social media yes. and the executive order. Um, understanding how that law works and the current situation, what it means, what it doesn't mean. Um, absolutely no political bias in it whatsoever. Just a good explainer audio clip explaining what that law is, what the history of it is, if you're curious about that. I was. So it's pretty good. Pretty I, good stuff. I love Tom and Patrick. They are awesome. Okay. So oh, work insanity. There you go. I told you it was something insanity. <laughs> I knew it. Work in sanity. sanity. Yeah. There you go. I knew it. You knew it. All right. I got a couple of things to show off, some thank yous. Um, what is the story with the, the Maui So things? a very long time ago, I think I complained about Dougie eating my Maui. Yeah, yeah. Like the little The ornament. Maui magnet. Yeah. Uh, and this is from, is it Seth? Seth? Seth and Amber? Amber. He's like, yeah, Stephen. So he said he got oh, me a couple of magnets, okay. and they had been sitting on his desk forever. He's like, I'm cleaning my desk. Do you want these? I'm like, yeah, sure. These are great. So I just wanted to say thank you for thinking of me. So very long ago, they will find a new home on uh, something magnetic in my house. You know what's nice about them? Yeah. They're metal. Yeah, I and, like... And, and they're less and, likely to be chewed by and, Dougie. Yeah, and they're like clips. Little like so I'll chip be clips. able to hold... Um, Your nipples. No, <laughs> There we go. That's so, nice. Thank was this you. the intended purpose? No, that's not the intended purpose. Okay. All right. I Another. was thinking more like kids' art. Sure. Let's do that. <laughs> 
guys see what this is? It's like barbecue rub. It's barbecue rub, baby. A whole jug of it from Big Lou at Big Lou's workshop. Uh, he knows that I like barbecue. He's got a great rub recipe that uh, he actually gave me the recipe, which is kind of a big deal. Yeah. A lot of people don't do that. No. Uh, it's so, like me sharing my cinnamon roll recipe. Right. So I'm anxious to try this stuff out. So thank you, Big Lou. And let's give him a shout out if you want to go check out Big Lou's YouTube channel. And it is woodworking, not barbecue, by the way. That's at uh, youtube.com slash Big Lou's Workshop. And Lou's is L-O-U-S. He says he just crossed 800 subs and is on his way to 1,000. So maybe we can help him get there a little faster. Bump. Bump Give him a little bump. Bumping it up. All right. Where's my questions? I don't know. I went to grab my... um, Paper is if I have, like, a thing of notes like uh, Conan does, <laughs> like a talk show host, right? Yeah. Okay. All right, so questions here. These are from some of our patrons. Eric Cole says, do you have any experience adding toner to finish? I read that trans tint can be added to finishes to shift a color. I thought it might be a good way to fight blotching and cherry. I'm spraying Endurovar on the doors and the drawer fronts of my Wood Whisperer Guild Miter Station. Find the undyed cherry to be a bit pale. So, Yes. Absolutely, you can do this. Toner is a great way to help prevent blotching. Blotching happens when you have uneven absorption in the wood, right? And that can happen a lot with cherry. So if you have a finish with a little bit of color in it, that tends to stay on the surface. And when you do that, you don't get as much absorption of the color. So it does actually uh, prevent blotch. This is how a lot of furniture companies will take the crappiest, probably extremely blotch-prone wood, and they can get really intense colors on them because they're not actually staining it the way that we normally would with a stain application, and it's like this hand-applied process. They're usually spraying toners, and they're layering color. So it will obscure the grain if you keep layering it, but ultimately you get something that looks nice and clean with an even appearance. So yeah, that can work for you. That would be something you could certainly do. One thing I would also mention here is cherry does always kind of look a little bit you know, pale when you first finish it, but it also darkens over time. So you can definitely add some color, but consider the fact that a little bit of light, I mean, if you take those drawer fronts, just put them in the driveway for uh, a day or two, let them get some sun, see where the, you know, mother nature takes that color and then decide if you actually need to go down this path because you might not need to. All right. Sebastian Mar- Marchand. <laughs> Got that song stuck in your head. Thanks. Huh? <clears throat> Any update on the guild projects? Uh, that we can expect to get this year. I was really looking forward to the new projects with jewelry, but I understand that it's not the best time to plan a trip to California. Is it possible for some instructors to film the projects themselves? Hmm. Uh, this is a thing. Yeah, this it's is a whole, whole thing. thing. It's a whole thing. So much of a thing that we're considering getting an RV. Or at least renting one. <laughs> yeah. It's turning into a thing. Like, Any here's RV thing. specialists out there? <laughs> so I do have a trip planned to go to Daryl's uh, closer to the end of summer. Uh, This is a project that's already been pre-sold to people, so I have an obligation to get that one done. One way or another, it's getting done. Done. The projects with Jory, those were on the calendar. The projects with Philip, those were also on the calendar and both were postponed. So what we were able to do is the the stuff with Philip, our editor happens to live fairly close to Philip. So for him, it's actually a fairly short drive and he happens to be a videographer. So those two putting their heads together, what do you smell? The, the, The rub. Oh, all the way over there? Yeah. My God, I have woman. a very sensitive like sense a bl- of smell. You're like a bloodhound over here. Um, he's close enough that I actually might be able to send um, Todd to do the, the video, right? Yeah. 
So the two of them together, I think they could probably pull off a great guild product. And then I would kind of just oversee it and help with the editing or uh, organization and things like that. So that might be happening fairly soon. That, that's one thing that's going to push forward. And that's going to be two projects with Philip. One is his um, Morley lounge chair. And I, I can't recall what we said the other one would be. I don't know. Jory and I kind of had, you know, maybe halfway through June on the calendar. I don't know that that's going to happen. I, I, well, in fact, I did tell him that we would probably want to postpone. Um, honestly, until there's some semblance of normalcy in my life, when I could take my kids out in public, you know, when, mm-hmm. when, when we're not stuck at home constantly, um, once start th- things start to lighten up a little bit and look normal, then I might feel comfortable. Because really, the thing is, a road trip, I don't love traveling to begin with. Mm-hmm. But if i got to travel and worry about wearing a mask, worry about where my food's coming from, where I'm sleeping, like the whole thing just becomes like, that sounds like a, not a fun way to spend a my week. A lot of work. Totally a lot of work. <laughs> and for somebody that owns his own business and can pop out the project. Well, and no one has paid for this project yes. yet, right? Right. So uh, what you can expect, though, I'm working on a king-size platform bed uh, out of Walnut. I'm working on that right now. That project will be coming to the Guild fairly soon. Uh, Cremona is working on a mid-century modern... Uh, it's like a desk and a vanity. So, it, you know, it'll, if you take the mirror away and a little cubbies on the top, the vanity becomes a desk. Yeah. So that's actually coming out pretty soon as well. Um, so those are two things you could look forward to. <clears throat> uh, Connell Wright said he finally became a guild member. Any advice on the bread box? It should be all in the videos. <laughs> Every bit of advice that I have, <laughs> if I've done my job, um, is condensed into that video series. <laughs> There's a the first piece of advice would be to watch the videos. Yeah, watch the videos. <laughs> and if you're looking for examples of like wood combinations, if you haven't already joined the Guild Facebook group, mm-hmm. do. I think I'm a little behind in letting people in, so I should probably check. Yeah, well, and I don't know if the gallery is active on that one yet, but there's, there might be pictures of other yeah. people's versions. The wood combination thing is definitely one you could have some fun with. All right. All right. Jeff Barry, I know you've used several miter saws throughout the years. Do any of them compare with the Capex when it comes to dust collection? I know dust collection is difficult with miter saws, but it's important to me. Me too. Okay, so the Bosch makes a solid effort. Bosch Glide. It kind of fails in that effort. Uh, There are modifications that you can do. I've seen a number of modification videos on how to improve the dust collection on the Bosch. Uh, But I will say they get that A for effort, but (laughs) let's say they get a D for final execution. It's just not that great without modification. Um, The, let's see, a couple years ago, Makita came out with a new version. I can't remember the the number. They got a confusing numbering system. I tried this saw because, specifically, it looked like finally someone built a competitor for the Capex with a comparable level of dust collection. So I was interested in that. The problem was this saw had a fatal flaw in its quality control and it was almost across the board. Anyone who ordered this saw had this problem. The company never really publicly addressed it. Uh, A lot of people who are just doing construction jobs might not necessarily even notice it. Uh, So the problem was I had to send it back. I got like two more units. I was really determined to get this thing to work and every one of them had the problem. So uh, look into the newer Makitas, take a look. Maybe they've fixed this problem by now and you won't have the the same problem I had. But I did recall the dust collection on that being pretty darn good. So that might be the only one. I just hope this is something that continues to evolve over time and these companies start to take this dust collection thing seriously. Alrighty. Alrighty. You got any questions you want to throw in? Uh, Sure, I always have questions. Lawrence says, good morning. 
I'm going crazy setting up my jo- straight jointer blades.、Mm-hmm. I'm using a one-way caliper. Are helical cutters easier to set up? Yeah, helical cutters are great because as long as the head, you know, stays in one position, which it does,、uh, and your tables haven't moved, all of the little cutters are pre-indexed. They're all going to go in the same way as long as they're fully seated. There's no、uh, dirt or anything preventing the little、uh, square cutter from seating completely. It's already pre-calibrated.、Um, the only thing you'd have to do is make sure that your infeed and outfeed tables are, you know, sort of co- not really coplanar but parallel planes with that cutter head. So yeah, I do find that the、uh, helical heads are m- much more fun.、Um, I used to absolutely dread any time I needed to sharpen the blades on my jointer. I would avoid it at all costs because that means that I have to reset them in place. You know, make sure the whole thing is fully calibrated. It was a giant pain in the butt. So, I mean, there's tips and tricks. You can find lots of videos on how to do that. Maybe there's other things you could do to make it easier for you.、Um, I wouldn't say a solution is to just go out and buy a new jointer. You don't have to do that.、Um, but to answer your question, I do feel like the helical heads,、uh, segmented cutter heads, are easier to adjust. Nathan wants to know difference between regular jointer and parallelogram one.、Um, it's yeah. I mean, the details, the mechanical details, I'm not even that familiar with. I just know that. Uh, traditional jointers are on what they call dovetail ways, and adjustment on those usually requires shimming to get those tables to be perfectly where you want them to be. Parallelogram jointers are easily adjustable. Typically, you just loosen up a knob, and then you have a handle that you can move up and down, and everything moves. You've got、um, usually four points of adjustment, so you can actually just turn these little cam screw things, bolts or whatever they are. Like my my terminology here is really on point,、uh, but you have a four point adjustment. Which is much easier than shimming. So, generally speaking, one of the biggest advantages to a parallel、uh, parallelogram jointer is the fact that adjustment becomes a whole lot easier. Okey doke. Okey doke. <clears throat> Mike Davies says most important features on a drill press、uh, after lathe upgrade. My next is a drill、uh, benchtop drill press. What qualifies? Jeez, reading is not really good today. What <laughs> qualities are most important? Quill travel, variable speed, depth stop, horsepower, table size. You know, for me. Table size is a good one, having good support. But you can always build an auxiliary table. People do that all the time, and it's actually a great use of space. So while table size initially is an issue, but you know, long term, I don't think it's that big of a deal.、Um, mostly, you know, see the thing is, I might be the wrong person to ask. I don't really give the drill press a lot of respect. <laughs> like, it's in the hierarchy of tools in my workshop, that is the least critical that it be a high end machine. Uh, as long as it drills straight, as long as there's not an excessive amount of runout, you got a nice chuck on there, and as you you know travel down, you have you know you don't have an increase in runout because something isn't straight, you know it's a, you know a shaft is bent or something.、Um, ultimately, the job of that drill press is to spin in circles, and if it does that and it works well, it's going to do everything I need it to do. What are you doing? <laughs> it's the last day of school. Just <laughs> drilling holes. Screw it. That was a clean version. Yes, that was a clean version.、Um, so I don't think you need a whole bunch of bells and whistles on a drill press. If it's a decent quality, it travels up and down, it spins bits, and it takes the size bits you have.、Uh, it's probably going to be fine, unless you do things with a drill press that I don't do. You might have a different use case. <clears throat> okay. You want me to ask a question? Yeah, go ahead. I got a question.、I'll、drink some water. From Andrew. Hey Mark, how do you weatherproof panels of an exterior door, making out of one out of wood? But I don't want a drafty door. Do I put? Do you put gaskets in, or will the wood seal itself? Thanks. 
Um, a door, huh? An exterior door. You've never done an exterior door. Mm, no. I can tell by that face you would never want to do an exterior door. <laughs> it's a lot of responsibility, Nicole. Yeah. He gets to a point, I can always tell, when he doesn't want to do something. Eh. Yeah. Eh. Yeah. Maybe we just buy it. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad idea. If you have floating panels and you put some kind of, I assume what you're talking about is the where the panel meets the frame, you've got a potential spot for yeah. water infiltration. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess you could seal it. You know, I just did this on um, the glass door on oh, yeah. the little library thing, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I just used some caulk and I put caulk in the groove and dropped the panel into the caulk. It, it seems <clears throat> to have worked. I went and checked and they yeah. were dry. So that's what I, I mean. I might do something along those lines, but really talk to someone who builds a lot of doors. There might be tips and tricks for this. A lot of times, though, the, the panel fits nice and snug, so your wood-to-wood -wood contact is adequate. Uh, if there's a little bit of glue in there, as long as you're still allowing for movement, that can work, too. Um, but I, I can't imagine all door builders are putting, you know, a gasket inside right. these panels, right? right? Um, I imagine they are just getting it to fit well. Moisture, humidity, things like that cause the wood to swell, kind of fills that gap, and it shouldn't be that big of an issue. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. <laughs> but, but I guess if I was trying to bulletproof an exterior door, I would probably do the same thing that I just described because mm -hmm. a caulk can still allow the wood to expand and contract, but will prevent water from seeping down into the crack between, if there is one, uh, between the groove and the door panel. So maybe something along those lines would be a good Should precautionary measure. Should I close the measure. door because... <clears throat> The it's not that loud yet. Okay, it will be though. Maybe. Okay, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Borovitz says, in need, uh, I'm needing to replace the countertops in my kitchen as I prepare to sell my home. Considering building my own, but could use some advice on the finish. What kind of finish would be best uh, on a countertop that offers, uh, let's see, a little protection, but not the look and feel of being encased in plastic. I used a water-based poly on a dining room table. in plastic. Yeah, we might have to close the door. <laughs> I was right. So he doesn't want it to look like plastic. Okay, so a couple things you can do. Um, a lot of people, if you want to go for like something with a decent amount of protection, beautifies the wood, fairly easy to apply. Uh, a couple coats of water locks, something preferably in like a satin family. Water locks is pretty good. I've seen a lot of people use those uh, that material on countertops. If you want something that's a little bit less, you know, uh, in the way of VOCs, you might go for something like Rubio. Rubio is not a bad option at all. We've got it on a floor in our house. I've got a bunch of furniture pieces finished with it. And if you want something that just provides some, you know, water resistance and not definitely will not look like plastic on the surface, hard wax oils, something like Rubio, Osmo, those are good choices. Matthew Lee wants to know, or Lay, wants to know if there are any decent plug cutters that don't burn wood. Mm. Well, burning could also be the wood that you're using sometimes, right? If we're, we're trying to make plugs out of cherry, you just might wind up getting some burning or even with maple. Um, the ones I have are, which brand is that? I think it's a Lee Valley set. I can't, I, can't find it on Amazon. I don't think it's on Amazon. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it was the ones that, Snappy? Is that the right name? Something Snap? Maybe I'm thinking of the self-centering bits. Either way, pretty sure Amazon sells a good set. Uh, there was a point where I got oh, frustrated. Yeah, snappy. Okay, it might be the Snappy Tools plug cutters. Those are pretty good. There's like a three-piece set. Mm -hmm. Is that it? Yeah, that would cover the, the most popular sizes. Yeah. So it's either the Snappy plug cutters or I got one from Lee Valley. I don't remember which story is true, Nicole. Mm. 
Well, Either way, spend a little bit more. You know, there's cheaper ones that tend to burn a little bit more. Sometimes they just clog a little bit more. It's hard to get that plug out. Uh, other times you get, you know, you get a, a nice clean cutting one that's very low friction. Uh, you get a better quality plug. It doesn't, you know, get stuck in there as much and you don't get as much burning. So don't buy I, the cheaper uh, ones, buy a decent quality one. I'll put that into the Amazon store underneath Friday Live, at least to get you started. Yeah, they're right over there. I just, they're so close, yet so far away. Oh, I just can't get to them. I gotta sneeze. Ugh. Bless you. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I was, okay, this is Corey. He says, I was cleaning up a uh, workpiece with a flush trim bit and a template, and I accidentally dipped the router bit into the show face. Oh no. What would you recommend as a fix for something like this. It's roughly 3 16 deep, one and a quarter inches long. I considered squaring it off and gluing in a piece, uh, like a patch, sanding it back flush, but I'm afraid that it'll look worse than the dip. Uh-oh. Okay, well, if you have a dip. Dip, baby, I mean, a dip. lot of people, you really only have a couple choices here, right? You either get a new workpiece and redo it completely. You fill it, which usually doesn't look very good with using a commercial filler. Mm -hmm. uh, you could, if, if it allows for it, sometimes you go, okay, this is a creative opportunity. Now I'm putting in a round over, <laughs> you know, and you just kind of put a profile in that hides the flaw or you patch it. The key with making these patches look good, if you can do it, is to kind of taper them out. So instead of cutting a little square mortise, essentially, and dropping a piece in, which isn't the worst thing in the world, I think that would look better than a gouge, by the way. As long as it's nice and tight, it won't be too much of an eyesore, uh, depending on where it's located. Uh, but if you can, you might even try to just kind of taper it out a little bit, feather it out, so your glue line is no longer 90 degrees to the grain. It's kind of at an angle, right? Almost like what you do with a scarf joint. The angle is so shallow that it's hard to follow that, and the eye doesn't see it as much. It just kind of follows and blends in with the grain. Um, so that's probably where I would try to head. Don't do a square chunk replacement, just try to feather it out and then glue your, your piece to that. You want to make it flat so you have a nice flat surface to glue to, but taper it out, drop a piece in, glue it, and then trim it to kind of fit and flush it up. Uh, I got a question here from, uh, did I already do that one? Yeah, I already did that one. Uh, Apo, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, with the knowledge you have, now have, do you think your original pre-Wood Whisper business would have flourished? No. <laughs> Nothing I have learned would have made my furniture business any more successful. Yeah. I mean, I learned a lot about making content. I learned a lot about online marketing, marketing. and communities. I can't say that I have a skill set that would have me. In fact, I would say the skill set that I've attained as the Wood Whisperer mm. probably would make me specifically terrible at running a furniture business, <laughs> right? The things I'm concerned about because I want to show, look how tight my sliding dovetail is. Well, you know who who makes really tight sliding dovetails? People who have time yeah. to worry about making tight sliding yeah. dovetails yeah. that are just perfect, right? They're perfect. When you're in business, sometimes you just got to get things done. And I think that would be the, the hardest thing for me to do is to adjust to being more practical and to doing things that are Basically, you know, if the customer isn't expecting it, do I need to go to that level? Well, there's a tough choices. So I think I would actually be pretty bad at it right now. Yeah, probably. That said, I think there are certain tools that have come out that might 
make a change. So CNC certainly yeah. could could help the me with certain things. Domino wasn't around when we first started. The Domino would be a huge help in, in making a business go faster that wants to you know work in fine furniture. Yeah. So technology has made a difference. I just need to clear the air. If you follow Mark on Instagram <laughs> oh, and you saw him complaining <laughs> about me Is not that liking, coming up in the yes, chat? Yes, it's coming up and I'm kind of pissed at you. Hey. <laughs> Hey, hey, take it easy, lady. You it's, it's, went out and I'm publicly. Here. No, you're not. You publicly blasted me saying, I don't like barbecue. It's not that I don't like barbecue. I love barbecue. Hey, what's barbecue. that? Look. Stop it. It's Santa Claus. <laughs> That's what I do with the kids. I love barbecue. <laughs> it's my insides that do not like barbecue. Okay, so a couple years ago, Nicole had a bout of what was that? That infection you had? C. diff. So she had C. diff and other complications with it. Ever since then, it. I've been super sensitive to everything. Anything Milk, with spice. Anything, lactose. Anything too greasy. I'm, yeah. I, I like have to, I have to mentally yeah. weigh, is this food so important to me right now that I'm willing to be just in bed in pain for right. the rest of the night? Well, the thing is my mom's been here and my mom does like barbecue. So I like it when there's someone who likes barbecue around and mm -hmm. I try to cook more. And I think I've cooked enough times that Nicole is finally like, I just don't think I can do this. Like every time we do this, I wind up being in yeah. pain. And you're like, and well, it's terrible. are you going to take care of the kids? No, I f I'm physically in pain at this moment. <laughs> what if, when have I ever, are you going to take care of the kids? Well, I feel, I feel, <laughs> I feel the invisible weight of putting Ava to bed and, yeah. and all of that. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you right now. I don't think anyone cares about this. <laughs> and I don't know why we're talking about because it. Because somebody, uh, somebody brought it up in the chat room. Sure, we'll let you. Okay, so she has tummy trouble, guys. <laughs> and that's why she can't eat yes, barbecue. There you go. So the air is cleared. It's not that I dislike his barbecue. Yeah, our marital um, counseling session will resume <laughs> after the show, if that's okay with everybody. Okay, uh, okay I, so. I also ruined the cereal drawer. This, this, uh, That's true. Quarantine you, you did ruin the cereal. Messed there. us all up. Okay, Todd Cagle <laughs> says, Mark, I dry fit the tails uh, from the front laminate on the Rubo, and it's so tight that I can't get it back out. Any ideas on removal without breaking the tails? Well, somehow you're going to have to dry it. Now, this sounds a little kooky, but I might hit that with a blow dryer. Um, I wouldn't necessarily go to the extent of a heat gun. That might be a little intense. Uh, put a hair dryer, you know, if you can like tape it to a tripod so you don't have to stand there and hold it. Um, I would just try to get it dry. Excuse me. So if you can somehow force that area to just dry a little bit, it actually might loosen up. That, that's the way I would approach this. And you'll, especially because we're talking about big work pieces, you can't really put it in an oven or something like that. Um, you also might be able to take the pieces, put them out in the sun. If you've got a nice, uh, warm, sunny day, as long as it's not super humid out, uh, you could take it, put it in the sun, give it a little bit of heat, and maybe, maybe, I don't know for sure, um, the wood might start to shrink just a little bit, just enough for you to get a dead blow under there and pop that thing back out. That's what I would do. So either the sun and or uh, blow dryer, warm, dry air. I have a solution <coughs> for your barbecue problems. Okay. I say you make all the barbecue and then... Give it away to charity. We give it away to anybody that's local. No, I'm going to start a food truck. Mark's Barbecue. Mark's Barbecue. How about that? I'm going to compete with um, with uh, Brad. uh, Brad's Pit. Brad's Pit. That we see all the time around if, here. If, if you are looking for some good barbecue, Brad's, Brad's Pit is a food truck that is around the yeah, area. If you, don't, if you don't mind the food truck thing, it's uh, good stuff. Andrew says, hey, Mark, 
Uh, oh no, we already answered this one. Oh, I, I pulled it twice. Okay. Plan D would work. Speaking of miter saws, I don't have one. I also have a junky jigsaw and a nine inch bandsaw. I would like a good option for processing rough stock. Which should I get slash upgrade for rough stock? Shoot, man. While you're looking at cross cuts on the miter saw, you know, you can get those cross cuts, rough cross cuts with a jigsaw. And if it's crappy, who cares? As long as it goes up and down and cuts and you got a good sharp blade, you're fine. Um, personally, I would see probably the bandsaw. And I'm just thinking not, not just about rough cutting lumber. Um, the bandsaw being a more a tool that's going to give you more bang for the buck with things that you can do. And rough, you know, cutting some rough lumber is certainly one of those things, but uh, lots of other things come with that. So, spur of the moment answer, uh, I'm going to say the bandsaw. <laughs> <coughs> the chat's making me laugh. <clears throat> You're making me laugh, chat room. That's what they're there for. <laughs> Chris Kalnassi, curious about rail and style panels. Uh, when you did the green and green entry bench for Jason, wasn't it a rail and style, basically, but the fitment... From the video, it looks pretty tight as compared to a loose fit with space balls on traditional space rail and styles. Balls. Yeah, space <laughs> balls. It's, a, it's an actual thing. <laughs> Thoughts here. <clears throat> Excuse me. The panels on that were pretty small. I mean, maybe in the video it looked bigger than it was, but they were only about this wide. There's not a whole lot of movement. So as long as, man, the throat is mm -hmm. out of control mm -hmm. today. Um, as long as there is a little bit of movement in there, you should be okay. So, and I'm talking like a sixteenth to each side should be enough. I have a question if you want to drink a water. Yeah. Uh, let's see. John. One of the reasons... I said John funny. John. Oh, John. <laughs> John. Oh, it's John. One of the reasons why I got my Jet uh, 16 slash 32 drum sander was to avoid the snipe I was getting from my lunchbox planer. But I'm getting snipe on my drum sander too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Sound like a drum snare. Uh, is there adjustment that prevents this? Yes. So it's kind of a similar concept to a planer. <clears throat> so it's really all about pressure, right? The in-feed and out-feed roller pressure. And that's the thing you have to tinker with. So first go to the manual, see if you could find what the settings are. A lot of times they'll tell you uh, that you want the rollers so far above or below you know, the, the drum sander, usually below the drum sander. Um, there's adjustment in the tension on those that you could play with. All of this stuff has to be tinkered with until you get no snipe, and snipe is elusive. It's so hard to nail that down. Snipe. We haven't done that joke in a while. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, good luck. Do uh, some Google searches. Look at the manual and see if you could um, completely remove it. But again, just like on a planer, Sometimes you just try everything you can and you just cannot get that thing to, to be perfect. It's just, unfortunately, sometimes the nature of the beast. The beast. Uh, Aaron Alton, yeah. any tips and beginner tools for learning to cut dovetails? Do we have a beginning dovetail video? Well, there's a free video in the guild. Oh, is there? Yes. Oh, the dovetail step stool. Yes, the dovetail oh, step stool. Oh, there you go. <clears throat> we'll show you two different methods. One uh, pretty much just hand tools, the other kind of hybrid approach with the bandsaw um, that will show you how to cut dovetails. It is a free project in the guild. Costs gonna, you nothing. I'm going to link to it. <clears throat> you have to quote unquote buy it, yeah. but that just means that you are, you know, no putting credit, it into your account. No, no credit card needed. No credit card. It's zero dollars. Three lessons. It's about 92 minutes of instruction with both me and my buddy Matt Cremona. The only hook is you might occasionally get an email from me letting you know about sales or 
trying to get you to be a full <clears> member. <throat> Small price to pay. You can unsubscribe, and I won't bother you. So, there you go. I really should have taken some allergy medicine. Oh, no. <clears throat> I'm going to put a link to the Dovetail yeah. project in the chat room. There you go. Okay. Tony Tang says, uh, based on your experience, at what point can I flatten a board just with skip planing? The so-called S4S board that I buy from my local lumber yard uh, is never truly flat, but my small benchtop jointer uh, doesn't really help either. Well, if you're buying S4S, that's kind of getting into the territory of a board that is a likely candidate for skip planing. Skip planing just comes down to, is it mostly flat to begin with? Whatever side just gives you that appearance of being mostly flat, that's the one you want to put down, and then you take light passes through the planer, flipping each time, going back and forth. So the flatter the board is, the better a candidate it is for skip planing. And this is on a scale, right? So I don't know exactly where these boards are. Every board might be different, uh, but something that's S4S should be fairly close to flat, even if not perfect, and that then makes it a good candidate. But if it's got a big cup in it and you skip plane it, it's still going to have a cup in it when you're done, you know? So that's... Skip planing doesn't solve all problems. It's just a quick shortcut when a board is already kind of flat to begin with. Bing. <clears throat> all right, what do we got here? I don't know. You want me to? I can. <clears throat> Aaron tell Jensen. Me where, I can start reading something <clears throat> for you if you want. Aaron Jensen. <clears throat> yeah. What what finish ah, would you oh, use? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> on I, a. I have them right here. Okay. So a shaving brush living in the shower. Can't think of a harsher environment. What's the uh, safest bet? Just an oil or anything with filmish is likely to flake and chip off for sure. Yeah, you know, you could even just think about like an epoxy dip or something on that, right? A big, thick, protective layer certainly could work. Uh, in that case, you know, a very thick layer of uh, spar varnish, marine varnish, that could also work. Yeah, maybe eventually it might flake. So that's something to be concerned about. Um, trying to think. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of, of something simple, right? Something that just repels the moisture, uh, allows the water, you know, maybe long-term, the humidity and moisture might penetrate, but also can very quickly leave as it dries. And something that if it starts to look a little bit grody, then you can kind of take it in the shop, just give it a little refresh, new application of oil, and you're good to go. So again, I'm going to go back to the, the, my, new, my new classic recommendation, the hard wax oil family. Mm, as Ava would say, ew. 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 So yeah, look at like, uh, you know, Osmo, Rubio, things like that. But I also think in this case, there is merit to a very thick, you know, a quality film finish that will last a long time. And it's a small item, so if it does start to ever flake in the future, it's not going to be that hard to refinish. Uh, let's see. I got a question here from Steve Jameson. Mark, when you use dominoes in your projects, do you use one or two sizes or a wide variety of sizes? Also, can you give examples of projects that would require the larger size domino? Sure. Um, I use a, a range of sizes. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So there are some that I use more than others that, you know, kind of just good for three-quarter inch material. So, you you know, there are a couple sizes you definitely want to stock up on, but the great thing about the domino is just the versatility. When you have a situation and you go, I need a mortise and tenon joint uh, in that spot, it's nice to have a variety pack because you could say, okay, this one's perfect, you know, and I, I might not need this all the time, but I have it now, I could use it for this. Uh, so I actually have a dedicated drawer. Maybe I'll post a picture of this on, on uh, Instagram later. I've got a dedicated built-in drawer where I put dividers and I even got my um, label Baby Junior <laughs> and I made labels for it with the different sizes for both the Domino and the Domino XL. So uh, I, I encourage you to have a variety, 
but it's like screws, right? You want to have kind of all sizes at the ready or a good range of sizes, but you're really going to stock up on like your inch and a quarter, you know, things that are most commonly used in woodworking. Um, what was his other part of his question? Uh, it was... <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Examples of projects that require larger size dominoes. Well, any large project. So this bed, mm -hmm. if I wasn't teaching the process, I would have used the domino XL on those joints, no doubt about it. Um, I built a garden gate that used a larger uh, range. Anytime you just have bigger, thicker pieces, larger scale pieces, that's when you're going to think about, you know, the bigger domino. We got a super chat from Johnson Crafted Workshop. Okie dokie. He says, thanks for being infor informative and entertaining. <coughs> His name's Jeremiah. Thank you, Jeremiah. Well, thank you for tolerating what this... <laughs> crap that's whatever going on this with my is. voices today. <laughs> whatever is going on here and just sometimes that, that post nasal drip guys i like his avatar gets me hardcore. he looks like a nice guy he does yeah. oh i like that Dwayne larson says mark's hybrid barbecue <laughs> what would be the hybrid aspect of a barbecue joint uh a barbecue joint yeah like if you were a oh. barbecue restaurant and you said you were hybrid what would oh. the hybrid compo be composed of woodworking and barbecue <laughs> i don't know Maybe? I'm not come, thinking purely come, in food. Learn how to cut dovetails <laughs> while you enjoy some barbecue. Maybe some stuff I actually kinda would be is made with like wood and then others you're using charcoal. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, give us some thought. Yeah, not that we're gonna do anything about it. <clears throat> no. Got a question here from Jack Dalby. Jack. Uh, I made a gate out of reclaimed two by fours and used boiled linseed oil for the first time to rehydrate it. It seemed dry after two weeks in my conditioned gar garage, garage. So I, I applied two coats of Kills 2 primer. Now there are spots where it's still tacky and it seems like the oil is leaching out in some places. Should I sand off the primer and wipe it with some kind of thinner ad to let it dry out more? Uh, use something like shellac to seal the oil or just continue the painting? I have all kinds of products, I just don't know what to do with them. Okay, Jack, next time talk to me first because the linseed oil I think was your mistake here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Linseed oil uh, doesn't hydrate anything. Um, obviously, hydration is, is usually a word we use with uh, moisture, moisture and water. Linseed oil is just oil. And this is kind of that misconception that I think a lot of the marketing lingo tells us that we need to do with wood. Like, I made a joke about this actually on Wood Talk, uh, the last Wood Talk. Um, you know, hydrate the wood from within, nourish the wood from the inside. <laughs> like the wood doesn't care. The wood doesn't need to be wet or nourished or hydrated. Wood does start to look a little bit dry, but you don't necessarily need to do anything to it. Um, in this case, you're going to paint. So there really was no reason to use boiled linseed oil. The best thing to do would have been to immediately start with your primer. You know, as long as the surface is nice and clean and sanded, start with your primer coats and then build your paint coats. There, there was... Um, Nothing good would happen from a boiled linseed oil pre-coat like that. As you can see, it just causes problems. Do not keep putting coats of paint on top of that. Once you have uncured finish, especially if we're talking about oil-based products, if you have an uncured portion or an entire uncured finish and you put more stuff on top of that, you're exacerbating the problem. It's only going to get worse. So you cannot and should not recoat that until you could either seal it in, the shellac is one possibility. If you can get a shellac sealer on top of there, you might be able to put in a protective coat that locks in that uncured layer and allows you to layer on top. It's not my favorite way to go about it, but you could. Um, but really, I think the best fix here is to start over. Mm. Uh, get that schmutz off of there and start over. 
You just don't want to keep layering problem upon problem. Um, but again, when it comes to this finishing stuff, look around a little bit. Maybe you did look around and someone gave you the advice you know, to hydrate the wood with linseed oil before you go to paint it. Um, but that's just terrible advice. I can't think of any reason why that makes sense, uh, why someone would give you that advice, um, especially if you're talking about just painting it, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I would say scrape that schmutz off of there. Uh, use a chemical stripper if you have to, uh, but get it off of there, clean up the wood, give it a good sanding, and then start over again. Uh, after you do clean it up, give it some time because you might still have some linseed oil that worked its way a little bit deeper. Uh, you do want to make sure that that is completely cured before moving on to the next step. Uh, and also, boiled linseed oil takes nope. a long time Not my to favorite. Cure. Not my favorite. <laughs> Not my favorite. It takes, op- optimistically, weeks to cure. Realistically, months. Right? It takes a long time. So keep it out of your finish unless you really just want that light kind of oil finish on a project. Evan... <clears throat> We're gonna we're getting close to time, so okay. I got two more questions and then let's do it. Evan wants to know. I recently got the Festal Dust Collect Extractor, and I was wondering if good you for have, you. If you have any recommendations on the settings of the sander and vacuum? I feel like the suction of the vacuum is impede, impeding the sander's ability to rotate. Have you yeah. found an ideal balance on the settings? Well, that is one thing that's interesting about the Festal sanders is they can be so powerful that you do actually you know normally you don't touch those dials. Like who would want less suction? but they can be so powerful and so focused uh, that it can pull the sander down into the the surface, which you don't want. That's actually gonna give you more of those squiggly lines in the surface. So um, typically what I do is if I'm sanding a board and I feel like it's pulling too much or it's impeding the, the motion of the pad, just dial it down. You could have your board immobilized, sand, start sanding and keep your hand on the dial and then just drop it down. I don't know exactly what the sweet spot is. It kind of depends on your setup and what you're doing. I usually run mine at full and I don't have a problem. But if you are seeing this, just kind of dial it down. And you get to a point where you have like less vibration. You feel the sander doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Everything looks good. Then you're there. And that's that's your sweet spot. And you, you just have to kind of find it for yourself. Um, but that is a common issue with some of the Festool stuff. It's a very powerful vacuum. And you kind of do have to you know kill some of that airflow to let the sander do its job. Got a question here, a late question from Corey. Uh-huh. Uh, what would be the minimum horsepower on a drill press you would recommend for using a large Forstner bit on harder woods like Paduke? I've been eyeing the cheaper jet, which is a half horsepower. I can't answer this. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Again, I talked Easy about the, dr- response, the drill The drill press being like the second yeah. class citizen of my <laughs> workshop. I don't even know what horsepower that Powermatic is. <laughs> It's enough, yeah. but what's not enough, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's all right. If you get a good you quality... You don't have to know all the answers. I know. You don't? And I certainly don't know all the no, answers. you don't. There are, you know, not all Forstner bits are created equal. So there are some Forstner bits that are really, really efficient at cutting. So you don't need as powerful of a machine to spin those bits. Festool has a line of bits that are really good. Bormax is a brand... Uh, that makes some really good bits. There are just some higher grade Forstner bits that just don't take as much work. And there's times where, you know, I'll just be drilling with one of those, um, the Festool versions, and it's like a hot knife through butter. And I'm cutting through white oak, you know, or maple, hard maple. Um, so get, make sure you have good quality bits, and you can probably get away with a lower powered drill press to get that job done. I got one question, one more question. Uh, Walter has uh, been asking the chat and you, he wants to know if you've tried less expensive 
Rich Light Hard Wax Oil. Jay Bates apparently loves it. So I've never heard of it. Yeah, Jay doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> um, no, I'm not committed to anything. I'll try any finish. Yeah. Unless the owner is a jerk, then I won't try their finish. Um, what's it called? Rich, rich Light? Rich Light. Well, I'll have to take a look. I don't know anything about it. Sounds it. like Rich Light. It sounds like a, uh, a guy named Rich who lost some weight and wants to be, it's funny wants when to you, be known as Rich Light now. When, when you look up Rich Light, a paper company. Food service? Well, Rich Light Oil. oil. See if that comes up with anything. Mm, hard wax oil. Hard wax oil. Yeah, there's a couple different brands ah, out there. Ooh, it's stylish. Um, Daryl Peart uses one that's yeah. a little bit different. Um, Interesting. That's a very uh, nondescript can. Yeah. I like the style of that can. It's very, it's very... Uh, highly refined. Let me read the description. Hard wax oil is a clear, highly refined hard wax oil combination that does not separate. It performs similar to air-cured wood finish. It does not stay waxy or soft. Boring. Like most oil wax products. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Low VLC, blah, blah, blah. You want to order some? Sure. Okay. Let's order it up. All right. Let's do some finishing. Thanks, Walter. Non-toxic and lead-free. Low VOC. Okay, there you go. cool. Well, we'll check it out. All right. And by the way, anyone wants to know, if you don't already know, I was joking. Jay Bates is the man. I like Jay. <laughs> Nobody can tell. Your sarcasm sometimes well you never know yeah. like someone could be new and they could not they, realize take out that clip and send it to jay yeah and then 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 i'm gonna be in trouble on twitter <laughs> so uh i went ahead and selected my with my random.org generator yeah. the questions that were submitted on patreon jeff or or ved or 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 rabbits or rabbits yeah I've already let you know that you won the project oh cool congrats jeff so stumptown says this is important to know <clears throat> Excuse me. Jay just tried it like yesterday. Oh. And he showed it one time and liked it, but it's uh, is just getting into hard wax oils. That's the key. And I think I saw this post uh, of Jay's. He, I think, is reserving judgment on this. Right. The real judgment comes after you apply this finish. Talk to Jay in six months about how that thing is holding up. That's when he's going to have an opinion on it. Mm -hmm. um, any finish, I don't care what finish it is, generally, as soon as you're done, looks great. You know, but does it hold up? Does it have the durability he's looking for? Like that's, what we did on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when you're going to get the real uh, the real skinny on how it is. I know he's got a, a little girl who's probably doing a number on, on the pieces he's building too. Um, so yeah, talk to him about it in a few months and see how it compares. Um, but that's, that's why I've been doing so much of this hard wax oil finishes. Um, I want them to be good. I like low VOC. I like safer finishes that are just safer for me to use, safer for mm -hmm. our house, but I want durability and I want them to last if possible. So how do I know how these are going to do? I'm going to use it on anything and everything I can and then watch it. And I'm a, you know, I would say I'm a, at least, when did I start getting into the hard wax oils? I'm trying to think of the first piece that I did. I'm at least a year and a half into this ongoing experiment, maybe two years into this mm -hmm. ongoing experiment um, where I can, you know, from a place of experience speak on how well these finishes hold up, what you can expect, and what you shouldn't expect from right. them. Um, so, yeah, we'll try this finish. I got, I got no... Uh, it's 39 bucks. I got no skin in the game, Nicole. No. 39 is a pretty fair price. I mean, it's probably a little can. Yeah. Those the hard wax oils are expensive. That's the, that's the thing that sucks about it. All righty. So, <laughs> what we're going to do now is uh, wrap up the show. Yeah. Uh, uh, someone wants the title yep. to be Jay Bates is the man. Is that my penance for, for making a joke? 
Uh, I put a link for those that are Patreon. We're going to go hang out. We have a couple of off-topic mm-hmm. questions. Uh, and that's where we'll be in okay. the after show. I put a link in the chat. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for hanging out with us. Thanks for enduring mm-hmm. the throat clearing. You know what's funny? It just so happens that this was today's intro was the throat clearing oh, intro. Was it? Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. And you didn't pop your Sudafed. I did not pop the Sudafed. I was so focused on uh, getting an Xbox to work for the kids. All right. Uh, thanks for watching, everybody, and we will see you in the after show. Bye. Peace out.